When it's cold outside, thanks to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, you'll be warm and toasty inside. Right now, put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to two years at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. What a show yesterday with all the breaking news, watching the Daryl Brooks case, and I think he's back in today for some of the charges that happened outside of Waukesha, so the Milwaukee County Courthouse today for his final pretrial hearing on the Milwaukee charges. Daryl Brooks, of course, going to jail for the rest of his life. He killed six people, injured over 60, and... You know, that's at least the ones counted. I'm sure he hurt many more than that. I think in total they said 1,200 years or so, even over 1,200 years in prison based on the way it came out. And it's still a little underwhelming. You would wish there would be more that they can do in a situation like that. And it it goes back into look at all the different incidences that happened leading up to this. And I think more people have rightfully raised the issue with this low or no bond movement that so many people have tried to push. And it really is disgraceful to think all the different victims and their family members that were able to testify yesterday, I can't put words in their mouth, but I can essentially say they all would agree that Daryl Brooks should not have been on the streets that day, period. Not even an opportunity for him to go back onto the streets, but there he was. Uh, He was out facing two second-degree reckless endangerment charges. He had a possession of a firearm, and as a felon, he's not allowed to have that. Those are the type of cases he's going to be facing here, which ultimately led to him being released on that $1,000 bond, which he shouldn't have been released given his track record, and then a couple of weeks later ends up killing and murdering innocent people, men, women, children. The second case... Uh, that they're looking at, too. He was accused of running a woman over with his car, and that's what led to the low bond, where he then later drove his mom's SUV through the Waukesha Parade. And we aired some of the testimony yesterday. I'm so glad that the judge was able to step in there and say, this is pure evil, what I witnessed over the past month. And she's right. I have no sympathy whatsoever for the mom and the grandma who go out and say, oh, really, it's not his fault. It's mental illness's fault. In fact, we're all victims here together. We are in it together. No sympathy. And luckily, no one else, I think, had sympathy either, uh, or should they have. So we're not going to talk much about that. It feels good that the Daryl Brooks thing's in our rearview mirror. We don't have to worry about it anymore. One other thing I wanted to bring up at the start was this whole Amazon Prime video broadcast of the Packers game tonight with the Titans. You can still watch the game locally on Fox 6, but I hate having to track down where the coverage is going to be for your team. And it gets really dicey when it comes to baseball because, oh, man, they have all these different licenses. And, oh, you might be able to get it streaming here. Oh, it's going to be blacked out here. And then the playoffs come around. And then what happens? It makes it even more confusing because of the national broadcasting rights. And sometimes they move it around. I always think baseball and radio go hand in hand. It's always the safest bet if you want to enjoy the game and be able to consume it and get the very latest because the radio broadcast, from what I understand, comes in faster than the TV broadcast. And I say that because a lot of times I'll be inside of the studio and you're getting a direct line from the stadium 
and then you're broadcasting it out based on whatever delay you might have, it's a much shorter delay than what is on television. So you you actually get the broadcast. So, okay, here's, here's who gets it fastest. Uh, the person that is at home plate in the ump, then everyone in the stadium, and then the person that's working the game behind the scenes, and then the radio listener... <laughs> And then the television. So you get a pretty good account for it. And, of course, social media is even far behind that because it takes a while for it to report. But baseball and radio go hand in hand. I'm just lucky that there's still organizations like WTMJ that could bring you things like Brewers Baseball. You don't have to worry so much about, oh, do they have the broadcast today? Do they not have the broadcast? Are they going to put it on streaming? Are they blacking it out on TV? Oh, my streaming's not working. Oh, I tried to log in, and oh, it's it's blocked again. Why is it doing this? It's so frustrating. It always happens. And that's what I think about this Amazon Prime stuff. It's like, okay, you just overly complicate it when you spread the rights out over all these different entities. It's so frustrating as fans. That's what I hear all the time. All right, but I just wanted to um, do a quick gripe there. And overall, congratulations to the entire WTMJ staff and the way that they handled the Daryl Brooks case over the past year. Uh, it's it's due because there's a lot of hard work that went into covering that story. And Alex Crow, who you just heard do the news, a lot of work for him being inside of the courtroom and have to listen to Daryl Brooks' incoherent rambling for hours on end. Uh, coming up after the break, I want to bring up an issue, and I saw a couple of stories. One was reported on Fox 6. One was on TMJ4. You can find it in the newspaper, but nonetheless... I think it's an important issue to the question, who really runs the city? And it doesn't have to be a political question, but are we allowing criminals to run the city? And that shouldn't be the case, but is it the case? We're going to talk about that next on WTMJ. Welcome back to WTMJ. I'm Ryan Recker. You can find me online, ryanrecker.com. It's always fun to uh, spend time with you here online if you want to message me there, too. The text line is up, the WTMJ Talk and Text line at 855-616-1620. You'll have to tell me if I get the wrong impression, but sometimes I wonder, who is running the city? And I ask this not in a political sense, but are we allowing criminals, those that have not only been convicted but are out on a no or low bail, to continue their antics in a way where they essentially have free reign to do what they want, knowing the consequences and the bar is set so low and the precedent is set that they'll probably be able to go out and do it again with very little consequences. To me, says that we are allowing the wrong people to get away with running the city. So I'm going to get two examples here. And I think the first one comes from Fox 6. And I'm just going to read the first line of this story. Kenneth Twyman, one of Wisconsin's most wanted, is set to go free again thanks to the generosity of a convicted drug trafficker. Convicted drug trafficker. So here's basically the story in a nutshell. He is, uh, he gets a bond. They, someone bails him out. He flees. Okay, skips. Marshals have to find him. They grab him. Someone pays his bond. He flees again. Marshals have to find him again. They have him for the third time. Then someone walks in and drops over $100,000 to post his bail, a hundred grand. This person that's posting it is also a convicted drug trafficker, someone that has a history for themselves. Fox 2 goes out there, the reporter, and says, okay, we're going to investigate this, and let's go talk to him. Hey, uh, why are you trying to bail this person out, and where did you get that hundred grand?" He says... Got no comments for you, man. Get out of here. And then essentially goes back and forth like that. No comments for you. Get out of here. I don't have to talk to you. So he, this 
convicted drug trafficker, was found when they did a raid in his house back in 2018. Guns, drugs, over 100 grand in cash. Four years later, <laughs> he's got another 100 grand plus. It doesn't look like he's turned his life around. It looks like actually quite the opposite. Much like the ones that are on this low bail are able to get back out and continue to do the things they do and flourish. So one of the big questions now is that should we let convicted drug traffickers run the city and allow who is or should not be in jail at this moment? And we're talking about someone that's on the run for murder. Like there, there could be in uh, their, their trial dates in a few more months, but they were being held because the charge against him is murder. I mean, this is a very serious, violent charge. Same thing, too. I, I saw this one story on TMJ4. There was an Office of Violence Prevention Director, someone that was an alderman, I think District 1, and they want to try to find a way to help the reckless driving in the city. So essentially what they say is these reckless drivers, a lot of them are teens, they're terrorizing the city, this is what we need to do. We need to work with all these other kid organization, minors, basically are the center point of a lot of these charitable organizations, and we need to deter them to work with these organizations as opposed to getting into juvie or prison afterwards because they feel like the prevention side of it would be great redirect them out of the justice system and into the hands of another organization but i'm going to point this out too the redirection is what we're doing with the adults right now we're basically redirecting them out of jail with a no bond or low bail system or redirecting them right back onto the street and what you're saying is because they're a juvenile and they have the ability and probably have and will probably continue to steal vehicles, use those vehicles recklessly, cause accidents, maybe even take other people's lives or hurt them in property around them and terrorize a city, as you put it. You want to implement the same system for the miners who are doing this and has become a big problem in Milwaukee. So I ask the question again, who's running this city? Are we going to allow those that are just cycled back onto the street over and over and over again, the low bail in this whole social justice aspect of it that they tried to tout, are we going to allow that to run the city? Or do we really have to get back into law and order seriously without trying to look at it and say, no, 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 we don't want to ruin a kid's life for stealing a car, driving recklessly, hurting someone else, destroying property. Oh, no, we don't want to ruin that kid's life for all the crimes he's already committed. It makes me sound like I have no heart, but we have to be realistic here. And at the same time, in the city of Milwaukee, homicides are going through the roof. Go back to 2014. City of Milwaukee, 88 homicides recorded. 2014. 2019, that went up to 98. 2020, it's at 190. 2021, it was at 196. Here's the tracker that I checked right before the show. So far this year, and we're a little over halfway through November, we've already surpassed the 2021 numbers. We're at 197 homicides in Milwaukee. Odds are that's going to go well over 200. You can bet your mortgage on that, if, but don't. So these low and no bail systems that so many people have advocated for, including, you know, outsiders like Joe Biden, Kamala Harris are standing there even after the Daryl Brooks murders. Oh, no, we need to keep this low bail system. Even after it was demonstrated that system let him out to commit these those horrible, evil crimes. People are still advocating for that. And on top of that, Fox 6 reports that one in five homicide suspects are out on bond. Some of them, $1,000 bonds. Violent criminals, one in five, 20% are out on bond. Violent criminals. Are you kidding me with that? So we really got to ask the question, who do you want running this city? Drug dealers, murder suspects, reckless drivers? To me, the answer is no, no, no. But why do we go down that route? 
855-616-1620. I'd like to hear from you. It just makes me so frustrated because the numbers couldn't seem more clear to me that this is the wrong path. But you keep going down this wrong path over and over and over to say you're not sympathetic enough for the people that are committing vicious, evil crimes. 855-616-1620. I'd like to hear from you. I'm Ryan Recker on WTMJ. can't believe we're just a week away from Thanksgiving. I'm actually <laughs> quite ready for it. And even better yet, I get to be treated like a child. And again, I'm going to my in-laws, which when we go there, they said, oh, no, you don't have to do anything. Last couple of years, we've hosted Thanksgiving, and that's been fine. And I don't mind doing that. I've learned to brine a turkey, and it's my favorite way to cook it. So that's great. But when you go to someone else's house and they say, hey, hands off, you don't have to do anything, that is the best deal in the world. It makes me feel like a child again. Let's go back to the text line, the phone lines, 855-616-1620, the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Give us a call. I wanted to point out a couple of text messages that are coming through. Uh, One person, uh, amen to your comments. Okay, that's good. Uh, One person said, maybe we should listen to those running the city and increase shared revenue to allow the city to improve and increase services to nip up the bud. Okay, nip it in the bud. Okay, you're doing the old, is that Barney Fife? Okay, let's do this. I have seen these programs brought up in, at least argued, in a lot of cities that are primarily Democrat-run. And I don't mean this as a political thing, like, oh, I'm going to be pounding my fist on the table. But I just have to tell you from my own experiences, what I've seen is they always point to, oh, look, there's a pilot program in New York City this works in. They always point to a pilot program, and then they say, please give us a lot of money, millions of dollars. And then they implement it, or let's say there's a group of aldermen that decide this is a good idea. Okay, it's at least worth the pilot program. And then they put it down, and there's really no noticeable difference. In fact, they actually get down to it, and they use it as a way to try to justify continue funding, even though when you look at the numbers, it doesn't work. You you can point to some of these large programs that have had some success with it, but there's always these outside factors that play into it, and you can't really replicate it and say that it's just going to automatically solve all the problems of your city. It just don't work that way. For the most part, what I've seen, it's people that come in and just have found a way to play on the hearts of politicians to get millions of dollars to have basically zero effect. So i got to be true here. This This is something that we really, really need to address 100%, and if there was the right answer to it, I wish there was, but I can tell you what the right answer is uh, not. I can tell you the right answer is not continuing with this no bail or low bail and allowing more Daryl Brooks back out, particularly those that have already committed very um, violent crimes. Uh, Let's see, more text messages. The individuals that make set these policies won't change it until it affects them personally. No, I, you know, I can give you an example I don't know if it would, it would probably be in poor taste if I gave you an example. But let's just say that there are instances where politicians have been victimized and that it does not change their tune. There could be a couple of different reasons for it. When you're in the public eye and you're reliant on certain types of votes and certain types of people to contribute to your campaign financially, it's very difficult for you to change tune because you know that you'd lose your job doing so. So I think there's other things there. But I mean, eventually, things have changed. Sometimes people change their minds, and they go out there and say, I'm doing this because I need to have a clear conscience, and I need to do the right thing. So it does happen. Another text message. Hi, I don't have an answer how to solve the problem we've gotten into now with the crimes, uh, high crimes, but I want to say that the low bail and the easy bail process has started a few decades ago 
because of jail overcrowding. Okay, so we're not keeping up. Infrastructure rise, not keeping up. I think these are all very good points. We have to go to news, and there's getting so many text messages. We are getting some calls now. You know, real quick, let's try to sneak one call in. James, let's go to uh, James here. Welcome to WTMJ. Yeah, I think that uh, as what you just have said, uh, the judges and uh, even um, our, our good old guy, Mr. Chisholm, there has let uh, let us down in that because uh, if it wasn't for the judges and Mr. Chisholm, uh, Brooks wouldn't be running the streets, wouldn't have killed all those people. And all these other people that are running around killing other people and stuff like that, making downtown uh, a place that you really don't want to go. You know, you, uh, you, uh, you're, you're trying to, how do you say, to see Milwaukee, uh, sell Milwaukee as a place, safe place, but it ain't safe place when people are carjacking you, running you off the road, shooting you, and, and everything else, and letting all these criminals out there and keep on going. It's Groundhog Day every day, and until we get, <laughs> until we, until we, until we can get, Ryan, until we can get uh, somebody else in here, it just keeps on going. It's the same thing. Uh-huh. You know, you know, I laugh you because know, you, you said people? Groundhog Day. That, that's an interesting way to put it. We have to go to news, but James, thank you for the call. 855-616-1620. I think even Jeff Wagner said that when it comes to Chisholm, he should have stepped down. It would have been the right thing to do, and it would have been the right thing to do. Hold accountability for your office and the huge mistake that you made that led to the murder of six people, the injury of 60-plus, and then the terrorizing of a whole city. So that would have been the right thing to do to take accountability. I'm Ryan Recker. The WTMJ Talk and Text Line is 855-616-1620. A couple of text messages, one from Jeff in Germantown. A felony should be treated as a felony regardless of age. Okay, that's good. One person said, if you voted yes on legalizing marijuana use, you may need to rethink your opinion. The city's already ridden with drug dealers and malicious gang-style criminals. Uh, okay, I'm just going to do this for the sake of argument, not that because I feel the need to um, counteract or put another point of view out there. When I was downtown staying for a week and a half when WTMJ was so nice to put me up in a hotel. I was at the St. Kate. I did a lot of walking downtown. I mean, I I walked everywhere because I didn't have a car. Ubered to the WTMJ offices, their old one, their old studios. And I walked a lot and I didn't feel unsafe. I mean, I, I really didn't have any instance where I felt uneasy. And Maybe that was because I was out during the day. I was never out walking during the night. I guess that could change things because you know how nightfall brings out the worst in some people. But still, I can't say I felt like there was drug dealers at every corner. Um, But then again, I wasn't looking for it. 855-616-1620. Lamar, who is holding on. Welcome to WTMJ. Go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call. So the first thing I want to say is, with respect to this whole bail issue is like how we got here. And I point to, you know, situations like plea prior situations about, you know, the fact that nine out of 10 convictions are come, you know, come through plea deals. And most, in a lot of cases, you have people that are in, you know, pre crowd detention jail that can't afford to, to post their bail. And so they'll take a plea just to go home or a lesser sentence just to get out of situations, which isn't justice. Right. So the, and the swing, the pendulum swing from that is you have these VAs, which are soft on crime, letting, you know, deplorable individuals like Brooks get out on low bail. And then you have, like, in New York, they want to they wanna close the entire facility. They want to close Rikers when the response. And then when you have guys like Brooks that happen, then you have the hard pendulum swing back there by saying, hey, this doesn't work. When in reality, we should be saying stuff like, okay, for violent criminals, violent 
you know, people are accused of violent crimes that have a history of violent crimes. These are the people you need to be either saying you're going to be remanded or you get the big bails. And then people that are, you know, for nonviolent like misdemeanors, these are the people that you either get a low bail or no bail. And that's the common sense response. This hard pendulum swing back and forth is just going to get us back to where we, you know, we don't want to be. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that we can, you know, cooler heads and the smarter people in the room can get to that point. Okay. Well, let me throw a couple of lines down, and you tell me if you think the line is there or not. So when someone is found guilty of a felony, would that potentially make it impossible for them in the future to get a bail? Do you think that should be the cutoff point? Well, it depends. I mean, what, 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 what's a felony? Because, uh, like, if, I, if, if it's someone, a felony for a violent crime or, like, a, like a drug possession, there, there's a distinction there. I mean, how old were they? How many times? What's their... What are their priors? Is this just one felony? Because you can get a felony for, I mean, it's easy to get a felony. You know, I've had, you know, because I'm from Milwaukee, I've had friends that were that lived with drug dealers that took plea deals because, and took a felony because they didn't want to even take the chance to go to go to trial. And so, and they, they did nothing. They were just wrong place, wrong time, associated with the wrong people. And so I make the distinct, that's why I make a huge distinction between violent offenders, because that's an entirely different conversation. And, okay. You know, so, okay, so well, then let's move the, the line up a little bit further, and we'll say that there was a crime that was a considered a violent crime. Just they committed one violent crime in their past, found guilty of it mm-hmm. through the court system. Is that enough? Mm-hmm. Do you think to preclude them from a bail later? Absolutely, they have a they've, they've okay. established a history of being violent. They're being accused of probably another violent crime. Absolutely. There's a track record there. You know, they've established themselves as being a violent person. Okay, so at, at that point, you actually differ from a lot of different people, including the White House. <laughs> so that's not where they draw the line. So would you think that's the, the moderate, responsible line to draw, and you would be fine with that? Most people would probably be fine with that, too. Yeah, that's why I thought that, that, that I'm, and again, I'm in Florida now, and I'm just listening to, like, this whole, the Brooks is like, how, I'm even saying, how in the hell did this guy get bailed? Because clearly he was established, he's established himself as who he is. There's no way in the world any reasonable judge should have said, "Okay, we're going to give you." Yeah, I, I would have remanded him just to be quite honest. But I'm just that's reasonable. I think that's a okay. reasonable response. I think so too. Uh, thank you very much, Lamar. Good to hear from you. Eight five five six one six one six twenty is the number if you want to call or text. I'd like to hear from you. And I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. As soon as the Republicans took over the House, um, they didn't waste time. So we'll talk about that later in the show, too. WTMJ talking text line 855-616-1620. Scott, welcome to WTMJ. Go ahead. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my phone call. No, the, the point I wanted to make when it comes to low bail is that, again, I mean, I don't want to use the individual's name from yesterday, but he had a serious felony warrant out for his arrest from the state of Nevada. The biggest, again, the biggest mistake that, that the justice system made when they, when they initially took him into custody, what are preceding the Waukesha event, was that he should have been granted no bail because of that serious felony warranty, warrant that was out for his arrest in the, in the state of Nevada. There should have been an immediate phone call made to the state of Nevada saying, 
we have this guy in custody. We're putting him on whatever on on the U.S. Marsh on the next U.S. Marshals flight. Where we're out to Nevada for him to be returned to you, whatever for 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 prose- for prosecution. That was mm-hmm. so. My take is that is that if an individual has a a serious felony warrant for his or her arrest, then there should be no bail granted whatsoever. Per- period. Yeah, let me get your gut feeling on this. And again, it might not be the way you always feel about it, but when instances like that happen, do you think it's a matter of laziness where they don't do due diligence to check it out? Do you think it's a matter of empathy where they feel like, well, I wouldn't normally hold a person for this, so we're just going to do what we think is the right thing? What do you think the reaction is of why they would allow him out? If if I had to guess, but I don't know the insides of how that process yeah. how that process right. works, whatever the intake process. If I had to guess, whatever they probably never even checked. There was probably again. I mean, I would love to see the records if a phone call was ever made from whomever at the whatever at the House of Corrections or the or the intake court. If there was ever a phone call made to the state of Nevada, whatever, saying we have this guy in custody, we see that there's a felony warrant out for his arrest for a serious crime, whatever, what do you want us to do with them? Yeah. And, and if and I remember and correctly, that, um, it, 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 we don't even know if that information was available to the, to the, to the commission who processed the, who processed them in on that night. You know, and we don't know 100% either, and if I remember correctly, and stop me if I'm wrong on this, but I think I saw it was reported that when they tried to pull the public record to figure out what was actually argued for the low bail, the $1,000 for, for Brooks, um, that tape was destroyed, or not produced. So they said, well, actually, it's not on record. And that was quite suspicious, number one. But number two, that would answer all these questions. And I don't know if they were purposely hiding that or not. I, maybe I'm just looking too conspiratorial, but that information should have been out. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I don't know that level of detail, I mean, but the but the thing that always concerned me about that case was that he had a, he had a felony warrant for his arrest from the state of Nevada. And again, I don't know. We don't know if that information was was or was not available to the commissioner who originally processed, who originally processed them in and set the bail. We don't know if, if that information was available to that person make a call to the state of Nevada to say, "Hey, we have this guy in custody, and he and we want to put him on the next flight, whatever the next U.S. Marshals flight out to Nevada, so you guys can have have him back and and deal with him." Those are all mystery questions. Whatever that to me that to me whatever need to be dealt with. Great. Thank you very much for your call. Good to hear from you. The talk and text line is 855-616-1620. Text message came in and said, I absolutely hate when people say downtown Milwaukee is not safe. There are many parts of Milwaukee and the suburbs that have had instances, and this does not make downtown Milwaukee not safe. Do you have to be careful when you are walking, especially at night? But yes, but that is true anywhere. If you're going to make these comments, you should come visit the city and enjoy what it has to offer while having your wits about you. Yeah, and I, I mean, like I mentioned before, uh, I, th- I don't know if this text message came out before or after I made the comments that when I was put up in downtown Milwaukee, I stayed at the state, uh, St. Kate, I walked to a lot of different places downtown when I had free time, and I would go and get food. Um, I would, I, I don't think I actually did anything other than eat when I left the hotel room. I, I'll get pizza here. I'll get coffee there. I'll get breakfast here. I did, I did a lot of the stuff like that. But for the most part, I stayed within a mile of the hotel. I mean, there might have been one instance where I walked a half mile or longer, maybe I walked a mile, but still. I 
did that all during the day. I wasn't really confronted by homeless. There was one guy that made it a point to show me he was wearing a diaper and he wanted money. And then I can't remember. There might have been one other homeless person, but I mean, there wasn't a lot of that either. So I don't think I felt unsafe at any point walking around Milwaukee. But I tell you that when I was filling in, sometimes even at night, I would take an Uber drive back and I would talk to the Uber drivers and they're like, you don't believe the stuff I see. And now keep in mind the WTMJ studios, their old location, uh, Radio City Hall, some of the back roads they would take to get to the downtown area where I was staying. The guy says, I've seen a lot of bad things. So I take their word for it when they tell me there's some nasty stuff that goes on. Definitely unsafe things that go on, too. Luckily, I didn't have to encounter or see it for myself, because if I did, I'd be certainly telling you about it. 855-616-1620. And I think one of the big things that you need to work out is to make sure it stays that way. So when you're seeing homicides rising in the city, and I mean really high, I was looking at the last count, 197 homicides so far this year. It's already surpassed the entire 2021 numbers. And if you go back even to five years ago, Let's see, uh, what is it, was it 2009, so that's four years ago, three years ago? So I guess if you go even further, but 2019 was 98 homicides. You're under 100. 2014, you're at 88 homicides for the year. Now we're going to be surpassing 200 in the city of Milwaukee. Something has changed, and we can't deny that there's a lot of issues, a lot of issues. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Two quick stories before we go back to news with Alex Crow. And after his news, I wanted to ask him a few questions about the Brooks case because he spent a lot of time in that courtroom. Man, what would that have been like to have to listen to that incoherent rambling for two hours, knowing the inevitable was about to strike down? We'll uh, get to him about that a little bit. But two stories. First one. TMJ4 reported this, and they did a feature story about a woman in a wheelchair who finds difficulty getting around because of reckless drivers. So I was curious about that because reckless drivers, stolen vehicles, there's a lot of those stories that are going around because it's like that in a lot of different cities where you find the person behind the wheel drives like they stole it because they probably did stole it. Remember the old phrase, drive it like you stole it. Well, it's kind of exactly the thing that they're doing. It's almost like they took that as a challenge, but The story was a project called Drive Safer, and they were discussing some of the dangerous crossings. So she's in a wheelchair. Uh, Well, I I shouldn't say that wheelchair. It was more like a mobility scooter, so it's a little different than a wheelchair, but still uses public transportation to get around. And that public transportation means that there are certain areas where they drop you off, and you have to cross the street, so it's wherever it's at. She mentions, and they demonstrated this, where you could be at a crosswalk, And the cars will just keep whizzing by. Now, keep in mind, there's no light at this crosswalk or no ability to signal traffic that you're trying to get through. She says basically she has to wait there until traffic clears, and then she has to go through in hopes that no one comes speeding by. I understand how that's unsafe, but that's kind of how it works, right? You you don't normally go out in front of traffic when traffic is there in the, the intersection. Just expect everyone to slam on their brakes for you. So you have to do what's safe for you. So I, I understand that. But it really made me sympathetic because I thought there's all of these crosswalks where people with disabilities could probably find it easier for them to cross. And when we're talking about people with limitations on their ways they travel, you want to make it as easy as possible for them to get around, be able to still be part of society, because not everyone can go two blocks down for a light. So why don't we have more of those buttons at crossings to try to stop people? I mean, maybe that's the better solution for something like this. I don't think it's necessarily a reckless driver situation. Maybe that they're trying to equate it 
with the reckless driving that goes on, but I'm probably like everyone else when you're driving and the crosswalk is clear, you just keep driving. You don't necessarily look around and anticipate if there's someone there waiting for you to stop for them because ultimately, like any other place you've been, when you're walking, you wait for the traffic to stop to get out of there. One other story I saw was based on a big loophole they're trying to create in Texas. Normally, I would say loopholes could be entertaining to see how it plays out. This is a great loophole. So there was a woman in Texas who was driving in the HOV lane. That's the high occupancy lane. So that's like the carpool lane, meaning that if you have two people in the car, you're safe or more than two people. But if it's just you driving alone, you're not allowed to go in the carpool lane. You'll get a ticket. So a woman driving alone in the carpool lane gets pulled over. Officer goes up there and says, "Uh, you know, this is a restricted lane. She says, oh, I know. I have a baby in the womb, and that means there's two of us. So ultimately, <laughs> the, it gets dismissed, which means she doesn't get a ticket, so good for her. And now, in Texas, they have proposed a bill that would say a fetus would legally count as a second passenger, and women who are pregnant, driving alone, would be able to drive the carpool lane. I am so in favor of this. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. You ever gone to a lot and they have special designated parking? Oh, baby on board parking. Oh, expected mother parking. Normally it's places where, you know, there's a lot of maternity types of sales going on, clothes, furniture, things like that. It's a lot of like women-oriented buildings, uh, businesses. In this case, if you're pregnant, it's it makes Texas and accessibility for you to be able to get out there. I just think it's great. I hope it goes through. And part of this bill mentions, how do you even know? Like, some men, you get in trouble if you go up to a woman and say, oh, when are you expecting? Because if they're not, then it's justified. I think legally they can slap you in the face or the back of the head, their discretion, or they can kick you right in the backside. One of those three things they're legally allowed to do if you ask them that question. Now, what happens when an officer goes up and says, Okay, you're in the lane. Does that basically give all women the free pass to drive because you can't question if they're pregnant or not, if they're not showing? Oh, this is a great, great legal topic. I love it. All right, coming up in the next hour, what does the medium home cost in Milwaukee, and is it affordable? We'll get to that on the Jeff Wagner Show, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. It's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. Nice to be with you here today on this week before Thanksgiving. Oh, I can't wait for that. You heard the news there with Alex Crow, who joins us now. You spent a lot of time inside of the Daryl Brooks courtroom, including yesterday. And I got to say, there's always a little bit of surprise when it comes to that case because... It must have surprised you that the judge allowed him to speak for two hours when he was given an opportunity. Uh, I was surprised, I guess, a little bit there, Ryan. It's nice to talk to you again, by the way. But, uh, I mean, she had demonstrated patience throughout. It's what she has been commended for by a lot of people. Every time she kicked him out, she allowed him to come back in. She gave him a cool-off period. So I wasn't surprised so much that she let him go on. I was surprised she let it go for two hours before finally stepping in and saying, I need you to answer these specific questions. But that was kind of par for the course, the way things had gone. Every chance he got, he would try and delay. And uh, she, for the most part, would give him that uh, give him that space because he was representing himself. You'll have to help me on this um, because watching the video 
online, the live stream is different than being in the courtroom. A lot of moments, I couldn't quite tell exactly what was going on, but he would give a side eye or look to his left and give a dirty look to his left. Were there things going on behind the scenes we didn't see that were distracting him at some point, or were there people saying things to him? No, the, the, to the left was the prosecution team made up of District Attorney Sue Opper with you know, with whom he had a, a personal beef. He mentioned her by name several times during that uh, two-hour tirade, uh, as well as the assistant district attorneys who were there, and uh, and, and then a couple of members from the uh, from from the police department. Detective Thomas Casey was one of them, who was the first one who slammed on the hood of Daryl Brooks's car and told him to stop as he was entering. He kind of helped put this thing together. So that was like the prosecution team that was sitting directly to his left. And then behind of behind them were the victims and, and the family members of the victims, some of whom were there every single day throughout this trial, and some of whom said some nasty things to him well within their right, obviously, during the uh, during the victim impact statements. And he mentioned that as well during that two-hour tirade that, you know, he painted himself as the victim and said he felt no ill will towards them because of the comments he made. But he definitely had been festering about those comments people made. So that's kind of where people were lined up and sitting in the courtroom. Everyone with whom was involved was on the left side of the room there. Yeah, um, we, we aired... You know, uh, the starting portion of that during the show yesterday, and, you know, he kind of got the gist of it. He said his life immediately changed when he rededicated his life to the Lord after these events, and we can't see what's inside of his heart. But I can tell, you know, even with the judge's comments after and anyone inside the courtroom, um, zero sympathy, and rightfully so. Did you find that the reaction was what you expected? Were most people just relieved that this was all over and behind them? I'm guessing there was probably a lot of people that were angry as well, but were there any emotions that surprised you in the courtroom? Uh, it, it felt like exhaustion after the way that everything has gone throughout this trial him making a mockery of it at every single point, dragging these families back into it, cross-examining some of these victims. And these are all things that Judge Doro mentioned when she got the microphone yesterday and got to talk for several hours. The way that he would, you know, cross-examine some parents and ask them why they didn't go to this hospital right away. And it was very clear that he was not suffering from some sort of mental defect that would prevent him from knowing the charges. And he continued to say lines like, I don't understand the charges against me, things like that, that he thought would help him upon appeal. So again, it was just kind of par for the course, the, the way this has gone. So the feeling in the room was mostly that I could feel, you know, personally, and, and then with the, the, the way that I can't imagine that those victims' families were sitting there, a lot of exhaustion, a lot of people seem to be glad that this chapter is behind us, and, and quite frankly, Ryan, a lot of people are glad that they'll never have to look at or deal with this man again in, in their entire lives. That's great. Alex Crow joining us here from the WTMJ Newsroom. When I was visiting here just a couple of months ago, I remember you told me something, and if uh, I hope this is okay to bring up, because <laughs> sometimes you say things, you're like, oh, that oh, no, was what personal is it? or not. Okay, you're newly married, correct? That I am. Okay, and you and your wife just purchased a home recently? Yes, we did. 
Okay, so I'm not crossing any line so far. <laughs> I saw in the Journal Sentinel, they said the median home price in Milwaukee, based on where it's set right now, in order to own a home in Milwaukee, you would need to make roughly 74000 a year. And you just recently purchased a home. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think that number's high or low? Do you think that, roughly speaking, yeah, you need to earn a lot of money to buy a home in Milwaukee? Yeah, I would think so. My uh, my wife and I are uh, not in Milwaukee County. She uh, she's an elementary school teacher somewhere else. So I'm I'm the one who lucky one who got to commute. But I would say that that's uh, I would say that that's that's probably pretty on par. I, w- I would think. Okay, that number kind of shocked me a little bit. It's a lot higher than I thought it would be because things are a lot different than when I purchased my first home. Uh, ooh, ten years ago. Would I have guess been, roughly that also includes like you'd have to save up for the down payment and things like that too, right? You have to be able to make the money to save for the down payment and and all those good things. Big part of it, yeah. Um, median home prices rising. I think a lot too because demand was so high for a while there. I don't know if cooling down will change things, but okay. Well, that gives us a pretty good lay of the land. All right. Uh, Alex Crow, thank you very much. Good to hear from you. Yeah, nice chatting with you, Ryan. So let's bring that question up to anyone listening here in the WTMJ Talk and Text Line, 855 616 1620. The Journal Sentinel puts out an article and says that if you want to afford a median home in Milwaukee, in at least the Milwaukee area, you'll need to make at least $74,000 a year. You think that number's high or low? Are you calling shenanigans on that? Do you think that's about right in order to afford a home? 855-616-1620. We'll take some of your calls and messages after the break on WTMJ. Keep an eye on the WTMJ talk and text line, but give us a call now and... If you live in Milwaukee or recently purchased a home, is that about right? You need to make about $74,000 a year in order to afford the median home. I keep thinking about when I purchased my first home, yeah, uh, 10 years ago, maybe even a little bit longer than 10 years ago, right around there. But still, it's so much of a different world. There was a housing issue, a crisis. Remember all the different mortgages that were overextended? You started to see a lot of foreclosures. And there were a lot of homes on the market, which meant that if you were a buyer, you had a lot of leverage walking into a situation. And I took advantage of that. I mean, my my wife and I were able to purchase a first home that we look back at and say, I wish we were still in that house. It was so great. It was so nice. Oh, we missed that house. Then we ended up taking a job in St. Louis. We sell the house and move to St. Louis. And we're looking around and we're like, to, we can't even get the, a comparable house, not even close. And you would have to spend... 150000 extra to get a comparable house. And that, I later found out, is in a cheap St. Louis market. Things just changed so much over those five, six years. Luckily, we're able to sell our house in Indiana for a profit, and we were able to use that to get a medium house, a median house, I should say, in St. Louis. And now we're kind of at the same level. We're, we're looking around and we're saying, man, we're going to be moving again sometime in the future. And I look at the Milwaukee real estate market and it says you need to earn about 74000 to afford a median house in the area. Is that high or is that low? Seriously. If you've been looking around and you've had some history of purchasing homes in the past, is that about right? They say just last year, the median home, you would need to make around 50000 a year. So they've seen it jump 23000 extra a year. I think there's a couple of contributing factors to this. 
you have inventory still low, but there's less people in the market right now. So if you were selling a house, you're still most likely going to sell it, but you're not going to have 20 offers on it. You might have two instead of 20. But it also means you'll still be likely to sell it because, well, there's still a finite amount of houses. But with the interest rates as high as they are, in, if you're trying to apply for a mortgage, some people just are afraid to get into the market right now. Maybe there's still a hot Milwaukee market going on and I'm just not seeing it. But I think it's like a lot of other places in the world right now where things have definitely cooled down. But it still shocked me to see that number, 855-616-1620. And then what kind of home is a medium home, a median home? One person texted in, Milwaukee area homes still are much more affordable than any other metro areas. See, I don't know if that's the case, too, because just shopping around, Milwaukee's pretty expensive. Uh, just I've seen some cheap metro areas that I don't know if you can compare it to that. But like I said, St. Louis is cheap. But here's the problem. Our crime's worse than Milwaukee. <laughs> it's a lot worse in St. Louis than Milwaukee. So if you actually buy a home in the city of St. Louis, the taxes are still crazy. And then you find yourself in a neighborhood where your car is still probably going to get stolen off the street because there's not a lot of homes that have attached garages in the city. There are a bunch of old homes that were built a long time ago when that wasn't such the luxury that a lot of people had, unless you find someone rebuilding on a lot. Uh, but the text message continues. That said, people moving in from much higher cost areas, often with very high incomes and lots of equity extracted uh, from selling much higher price real estate where they came from, has been driving up prices here since the 80s. So the idea that, hey, people are leaving California, they sold their house for a huge profit, they got the money, they don't mind overspending in a place like Milwaukee because it's still looked at as a deal. No, I, I can get that. I understand that. I don't know how much of that is still going on, but I, I know people are leaving these high-income areas. It also makes you wonder, too, what that's done to rent. I've looked online, and the amount it costs to rent an apartment anymore or rent a house is also way too crazy expensive. Way through the roof. So what's your impression? Do you need to make about seventy three grand a year just to get a home in Milwaukee? 855-616-1620. You tell me uh, if you've been able to figure out how to get around that number. Other than buying an abandoned building that used to be a meth lab, how do you swing it? 855-616-1620. I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I see a trend that happened today. As soon as Republicans have taken back the House, it means that their ability to investigate continues. And the direction of their investigations, I think, are very clear they are going in, and they're going in hard when it comes to the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden stuff. So where is that going to lead the party? Uh, I'm going to talk about that after the news here at 1.30. Uh, looking at some other text messages coming in, one person said, I could probably afford a home, but I couldn't afford Taylor Swift tickets. It's from Jeff Fox Point. Yeah, I, I briefly saw the article of Taylor Swift and how expensive the aftermarket is on that ridiculous who in their right mind would pay that much money for taylor swift and i got a hot take on taylor swift um and, and if you're a taylor swift fan you're gonna hate me for saying this she is just a poor man's version of avril lavigne if you go back 20 years <laughs> that's all it is it's avril lavigne part two that's taylor swift <laughs> Uh, text message. Oh, and probably for a 30-year mortgage, which should never really happen or be a couple's choice because of the interest amount. Yeah, that's true. If you can do a 15-year mortgage, even better. 20-year mortgage, good. But if you can keep it to a 15, that's a lot better situation to be put in. 
And I will point out, most likely, you'll get a lower interest rate for going to that 15-year. And it might even really make a huge difference because you're paying off more of the principal balance as opposed to the long-term interest on something like that. However, I think most people, it's just because you're a day-to-day, paycheck-to-paycheck type of person, it makes sense because, hey, it's a lower amount that I'm paying every month and I can afford that. You know, it puts me in a bigger house because it's not the long-term thinking for some people. It's out of necessity, but still, it's a smart thing to do is to get the lower loan amount. One person said, I think that number is very, very low. I'm always trusting of how banks and realtors determine affordability of homes as well as a house. Does 74 grand allow you a reliable car to put some money away in the bank each month and other expenses that come up? I think it does. Yeah, I absolutely think. But I think part of the problem is with the interest rates right now so high on the mortgages, it makes it a lot more difficult unless you can get that 15-year or less loan when you're paying less money on the interest. But no, that, that makes sense. But no, I, th- I think in a lot of cases, go to a small city in a, anywhere else. I mean, forget the metro large areas where there's you know high demand and you can basically touch your neighbor's wall if you're standing in between the properties. I'm not talking about that, but there's a lot of places where if you make 74, you're doing like, you're high on the totem pole there. You're doing really well for yourself. Maybe it's just a Milwaukee thing, but you have other things to factor in there. But I just doing my research compared to other cities I've looked at, yeah, it is expensive. Homes are very expensive in Milwaukee. 855-616-1620. Uh, before we get to the political thing, which we'll do after the news at 1.30, I saw that Jerry Springer was giving interviews. And I was really surprised to see Jerry Springer come out and apologize that his show, the Jerry Springer show, ruined the culture. That's what he said. If you go back to the 90s, you remember what Jerry Springer was about? It was a bunch of, you know, like trashy topics, people coming out, yelling at each other, getting into a fight, crowd going crazy, yelling, Jerry, Jerry, while they're out there trying to rip each other's hair out or rip each other's clothing off. And then you had the muscle come in and try to stop all of it. But it was always the trashiest of topics. And he did this through the 90s and 2000s until his show kind of went off to the wayside, and you could have got away with just watching the reruns. But he said he ruined culture. And I, I thought about that, and I thought, did Jerry Springer ruin culture? I, I tried to reflect in a way where I was looking at rebellion and other industries, and it brought me back into the 1980s when the music industry and Congress were at odds because they thought that some of the lyrics that were in music were troubling to children, thus maybe we shouldn't be allowing this to be sold on the shelf. And then you had the likes of Frank Zappa and Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister come up and have to explain to Congress what free speech was really all about. You may have the rebellion. You may have the suggestive language, the nature of it all. And when it came to that, it was all about freedom of speech. Then we move forward to television. You saw more freedom of speech. Internet, certainly, you see more freedom of speech because people, in a lot of ways, um, you know, find ways to represent themselves in ways where it doesn't go back on themselves. So they may use it for good or bad. Even foods, we, we look at the freedoms of things we can do, like the way that we uh, consume food has changed and the way that we describe food has changed. Like, for example, today you can call something a, um, a burger and it's not even made of meat or you, you could call something like meat-like and it's not meat, you know, to confuse people. We've gone a very long way when it comes to culture. I don't know if Jerry Springer necessarily ruined it, but if anything, we are also complacent in ruining culture by supporting and watching shows like that and then glorifying it as, you know, something of value. 
So the freedoms mean you can usher trash in, even things of like Jerry Springer show, but you also mean you have the freedom to bring in something of substance. So I think that's where the responsibility comes in. But I'll always lean on freedom and freedom of speech, no matter what it brings in, because I think that is more important. So where are the Republicans going now that they have control of the House? Welcome back. I'm Ryan Recker. You can find me online at ryanrecker.com. If you wanted to reach me on there, send me a message. That's another way to do it. House Republicans are going on the offense and using Hunter Biden as a way to go on the offense. And you saw it happen this morning. Now that they have the ability to control the fate and also to get the investigations they see necessary in there, including investigations that would connect Hunter Biden's business dealings with his father, Joe Biden, access to him or maybe even direct involvement with Joe Biden during his time as vice president. We know that the Hunter Biden story and the laptop and the treasure trove of evidence against him is pretty wide reaching. There's been a lot of people trying to get that information made public so you can see everything on there. It is unbelievable the amount of photographs and direct evidence they have that show the crimes of Hunter Biden on there. But now you have to draw the dot. You have to connect the two between him and his father. And is it that hard to do? This morning, that's what Republicans, I think, are laying out. And I think what they're going to do is use Hunter Biden as the way to draw connections to his dad. And then once they have satisfied most lawmakers that there are connections, that's when I think Republican lawmakers are going to go for the impeachment. I know that Democrats continue to say, you know, if the the Republicans get in, oh, they're just going to impeach Joe Biden. They're just going to impeach Joe Biden. I think that Democrats over the past two years, three, even all four years of uh, President Trump's time in office, uh, used impeachment as a willy-nilly, we're just going to do it because we don't like the guy, ultimately proving nothing. And now that Joe Biden's in office, and there are some very extremely serious allegations and crimes against his son, and now the connections to him, Joe Biden, sitting president of the United States, would say that maybe crimes were committed while he was in office. Maybe, in fact, this is a warranted impeachment investigation now that Republicans have the ability to try to get this information out. So here's where they draw the conclusions. There's there's a pretty big gap that they're drawing, and you can come to your own conclusion on it, but, but let's go back a little bit. Here is first clip number one. This is Representative Jim Jordan in Ohio. When it started off, it was, no, it's not his laptop. It's not his laptop. Then it was, well, it's his laptop, but remember, it's Russian disinformation, and no one did anything wrong. Then it was, well, maybe... Maybe he did something wrong, but President Biden didn't know about it. And now it's, well, maybe President Biden knew about it and was involved, but it, it didn't influence his decisions. In fact, yesterday, there was a story in Politico which said that. The story in Politico yesterday investigating the investigators' dim strategist to launch counterpunch to House GOP. Story in Politico yesterday, here's what I said in there. Quote, no evidence has publicly emerged that Joe Biden's decisions were affected by his son's business dealings. Wow, we, we, so we've went from it wasn't his laptop and it was Russian disinformation to, oh, whatever was in there didn't affect the president's business dealings. So this is where you see the Republicans turning the tables on Democrats for the last, well, I guess really all four years of Donald Trump's presidency. Essentially what they said was anything that he did 
can affect business dealings, meaning that he had a business life outside of the White House before he became president of the United States. So they drew the conclusion that he may be acting in a way to help his own personal benefit. So this is what the Democrats said to uh, Donald Trump. And what did they end up doing? They tried to draw connections that weren't there, ultimately failing. They impeached him twice because they had the power to do so, but they ended up failing both times when trying to present their case, and rightfully so. I think it is a failing case. Now the Republicans are turning the table and essentially saying the same thing. You had a person in power now that is dictating his ability to benefit from his dealings with other countries. The exact same thing. If all is fair and all is on the table, then the Republicans are justified to bring up these investigations. And the Democrats can't say anything about it because they did the exact same thing for the last over and over and over and over again. In fact, to the tune twice, even after being debunked. So this is where Representative uh, Comer, he's in Texas, draws the line between Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and where this would actually, I think, lead Republicans to an impeachment trial if proven. So here's clip number two. At a time when Americans are suffering from high energy prices because of this administration's terrible energy policy, we find evidence that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were involved in a scheme to try to get China to buy liquefied natural gas and from a whistleblower to try to get their foot in the door with, start, with China starting to purchase an interest in natural gas drillers. Now, people are, are in outrage over China buying farmland in the Dakotas. What about China starting to buy into our American energy industry at a time when we have an energy crisis because of the bad policies of the Biden administration? Now, let that sink in. So the argument that I think is being laid out here is that you have evidence that the son, Hunter Biden, accepting money and doing dealings with foreign entities, including China, and sitting on the board of Burisma and all these other things that have already been proven, is it possible that based on these dealings, it would have influenced and perhaps maybe directly communicated with his dad, Joe Biden, which would have led places like China coming in and buying our energy interests from us or allowing them to do so, putting us in a position to allow China to do that. Is that what the deal was to begin with? Now, you may look at that as a big jump in conclusion, but do you think it might be worth looking into considering everything else we know? And I tend to agree with Jim Jordan when he says, look at where the story began and look at where it is today, where every time we learn more about it, it looks worse and worse for him to the point where now they're not even denying that the president of the United States, Joe Biden, was aware of what was going on. Now they're just saying that it's unrelated. I don't know. Can you believe that, too? So this is, I think, where Republicans are going, and it's actually a, a really big storyline to follow. 855-616-1620. Maybe you think I'm looking at this differently. 855-616-1620. I'd like to hear from you. Do you think that this road leads to a Republican House trying to impeach the President of the United States, Joe Biden? We'll take your calls coming up after the break. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in on WTMJ. Welcome back. Checking out some of the messages on the text line. And I'm looking at one that said, I firmly believe there were strong shenanigans with the current president and his son that are illegal. I hope they get pushed out in the front for all to see. But I also hope the Republican Congress does more than just do another witch hunt. That's a big thing. Uh, the, the way that I think Democrats handled it the last couple of times when it came to Donald Trump 
it definitely was led, I think, through a hatred of the guy. They really, really didn't like Donald Trump. And I think they didn't use the same discretion they would have if the threshold of what an impeachment is meant to be. Um, they definitely didn't. I think they had to jeopardize their integrity on what an impeachment is meant for in order to go after and attack the person they hated. So this is something I think is the big difference. Are Republicans below that threshold line or are they above board and right to look at even further? Let's go to Marty, who's calling in. 855-616-1620 is the WTMJ talk and text line. Marty, go ahead. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. Enjoy the show. Um, I'm a Republican. And I didn't like the way the witch hunt went, uh, to coin that phrase again, against uh, President Trump. Uh, but, and, it, and I was sick of it. I'm just sick of it. Now to turn it around and try to impeach President Biden, it's, you know what? It's just going to be every time there's a president change, it's going to be the poor president is going to be impeached. So I say go after his kid, convict him if he's guilty. And convict them hard, punish them hard, and let President Biden bear that shame, and we'll win the election anyway. Yeah, he's out there running around still, you know? That, it makes you wonder, all the things that we have seen so far that actually have been verified, the forensics that go into his laptop to verify all of these things that are, you know, beyond questionable, we're talking criminal, to say that he's out there running around is a matter of who his dad is. So, yeah, I think there needs to be some... Uh, standard set. If you want to point that out, that's good. I, you know, uh, thank you for your call. WTMJ Talk and Text Lines 855-616-1620. Again, going back and forth and saying that the threshold is low, thus that gives us an opportunity as Republicans to go after the president because you set the bar so low. Do you want to try to set that bar up a little bit higher, show some integrity? That would be a good thing to do. But it doesn't mean you get a free pass if they have the ability to uncover some certain crimes. And I I will say that essentially the things that we are finding out about this is warranted for investigation. I don't think it's a waste of time. I think that the FBI as an agency went around, used their influence and power to bury a story, which is the Hunter Biden story before an election. I don't think that should be the final word. I don't think them saying that, oh, this has all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Thus, you know, there's nothing behind the curtain. The old Wizard of Oz stuff should be the final word. I don't think social media and the news networks that got together and decided to suppress this very important story should be the final word on all of it. In fact, I don't think we've seen the final word. I think it will go even further in the future, as it should. Now, if the Republicans find nothing, let's say they decide to put this investigation forward, then you can put it to bed. That's it. But I do believe there could be a huge scandal there, very much criminal aspects that go beyond Hunter Biden in a story. Uh, Let's see. Here's a text message that came in. No, they need uh, to find a way to impeach Harris to ultimately get what they want, and I don't think they could do that without pitchforks. <laughs> no, I don't know if you go after Kamala Harris. I don't know what you would have to go after in a moment like that. She has been, unless there's something going on behind the scenes we haven't seen because she disappears for long periods of time, she has been mainly ineffective and much like a lot of vice presidents, kind of forgettable at this point. So I don't know if they can overplay anything that she's done in order to warrant investigations. I don't think there's anything there to uh, prove that. Here's another text line. The GOP is a joke. Used to be a great party. 
You have a criminal running for president in 2024, which is not true. Um, not one GOP member will even admit this. Well, no. Okay, well, your premise is wrong, so we'll just move on. Text message says, yes, uh, it's about time to connect the dots. Hunter Biden is a complete and total scumbag. It's sure Joe is, too. The apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree. Okay, that's a text message coming in from Steve in Greenfield. Another text message. Let's suppose that Joe Biden is impeached and then convicted, removed from Senate. Kamala Harris is president. Ugh. So that's Heather in West Bend. So you don't like the prospect of what would be coming in after Joe Biden. 855-616-1620. I really think this is the play, and I think this is what's going to be happening next. Maybe you can tell me I'm wrong. We'll take some more of your calls and texts next on WTMJ. Taking some more of your calls, text messages on this. And I brought to you the developments this morning. It looks like the Republican Party, they're not wasting any time. He said, all right, this is our next investigation. We are going to take serious this Hunter Biden stuff. And let's uh, try to connect some of the dots to the president, which they laid out. Of course, circumstantial. These are just matters of opinion at this point. But the, I think the biggest defense that Democrats right now and the Joe Biden administration would have is that, oh, you're just drawing conclusions. There was no intention. Um, and in fact, there was no con- uh, connection between Hunter influencing his father and his father making decisions based on that. But I think the Republicans are going to try hard to say, you know, this is worth investigating, and rightfully so. There's a lot of stuff on that laptop. One person messaged, if you try to convict is the president's son, uh, wouldn't the president simply pardon him? That's a good question. Would Joe Biden pardon Hunter Biden? Um, You know, I think he, it's not outside of the realm of possibility. I think that he would do that. He would just say that's kind of like what Andrew Cuomo, uh, Cuomo, Chris Cuomo defense. You'd do anything for a family member, right? You'd even bend your own ethics. You, you would do anything you can to help a family member. So, yes, even if it is something that would ultimately bring him down in a scandal, he'd probably do it. I, I can see that happening. Text message that says... Uh, the law states no man is above the law, but what president do you have been convicted of crimes and put in prison? Nothing will happen to him or Trump. Well, if you talk about impeachment, then what you're talking about is bringing forth the trial to remove him from office. So that's the spectacle of it all. And remember when Donald Trump was impeached, you had it on national television nonstop. Uh, they, they ran it during the day. They preempted their programming to air all of this. I think this is something that Republicans want the opportunity to show. You're not going to treat this the same way. In fact, you may even largely ignore some of it, but all of the hallmarks are there based on how they ran their uh, job the first time around, at least how Democrats did when they were in power. Then, all things considered, this is something that will happen if they were to run it the same way Democrats did. One person said, even though I wish they would impeach the president because I think he is... Uh, horrible as a Republican, the correct long game is immediately get to work and fix what this administration destroyed in our country. Without the Senate, can you fix some of these things? I mean, you can only rely on Joe Manchin for so long. That is one of the hardest parts of all of this, is that if the Republicans were able to take control of the Senate, sure, you may have some defectors here and there, but ultimately speaking, you would have at least the deciding vote if there was a tie. Now you don't have that. That goes to the vice president, which is Kamala Harris, so you're never going to do it in a matter of if all Republicans and all Democrats vote a certain way. So at least in the House, you'd be able to bring forward some of these things. And if you go back to Obama's last term, 
You saw the House brought forward a lot of different bills that were just completely squashed down, including trying to repeal Obamacare. It wasn't until Donald Trump got into office and the president was able to essentially find ways around that. Here's a uh, text message. We already knew about Trump's objectionable character before the current Democrat-led saga, which has nothing to do uh, but keep this objectionable trait in the limelight. Dems have used the hearings as a partisan tool. Of course, the Republicans need to do so accordingly. So I think that text message essentially says, hey, you know, all things considered, beat them at their own tricks, fight fire with fire. Chris in Fox Point. Okay, so when are we going to start investigating the Trump children? I would say they were put through much more scrutiny than Hunter Biden. In fact, they didn't really have the full force of the FBI and all these other agencies running defense for them and going to make sure these stories disappear or go away. Uh, They didn't have that sort of luxury. Uh, They were out in public all the time. I mean, Hunter Biden is not a good dude. There is a lot of shady business that goes there. So to think that for some reason the Trump children are treated differently, in fact, they are probably treated a lot worse, by far a lot worse. Uh, is there a solution to inflation and crime on the laptop? One text message comes in. So what does that mean? That essentially it's not our highest priority as a country, so we should just let it go? Okay, I guess you can take that. But that's one way to take it when the president of the United States implement in crime. I guess that's one way to try to deflect it. Another hour coming up next on WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. It's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now filling in for Jeff Wagner, here's your host, Ryan Recker. Well, life at the Avenue. How nice. Another hour here. I'm Ryan Recker. Again, you can find me online at ryanrecker.com. I have my social media links, things like that up there. It's been fun filling in for Jeff this week. I'll be back again tomorrow, and then Thanksgiving is just around the corner. I'm so looking forward to eating uh, like a child again. Because I don't have to prepare anything. The last couple of years, we've had family visit us in St. Louis. I did all the cooking. It just It's so strange. Whenever Thanksgiving comes around, my wife always gets sick. She's not feeling so well right now. It's a week before. It's always, I don't know how it happens. I don't know why it happens. It's almost on schedule. But, oh, I'm not feeling so good. So I end up cooking all of the Thanksgiving meal most years. I learned how to brine a turkey. I love brined turkey. I think that's the way to go for Thanksgiving. I make sure I only get the cranberry sauce out of a can. I want it to make that slurping sound while it slides out of a can. None of that freshly homemade cranberry sauce. No, I like the gelatin version the best. So I got to cook everything the way I wanted. This year we're traveling to visit family to eat and that's it. No obligations. We don't have to cook anything. We don't have to make anything. We just show up and eat. It's like being a child again. I can't wait for that going to wear my stretchy pants like most of you, maybe even right now, wearing your stretchy pants. Uh, Here's how you reach the show. WTMJ Talk and Text Line is 855-616-1620. I wanted to read one text message. Uh, Here's this text message, because playing off of what we were talking about last hour, not to carry too much of it over, one person said, I look forward to the day when Biden and Trump are out of our lives and we have a man with integrity in office. Wow, how about that? How about that? That is the way to look at it, I think, politically speaking. Mostly because I am also exhausted and tired of the way the news cycle goes in the last couple of years. It has been bad. But let me point this out. I saw some people bringing up reaction to the Trump announcement from a couple of nights ago. You have the Associated Press speaking to Vice President Mike Pence. He's continuing on with saying that 
most voters want new leadership. So not only do they want Joe Biden out, but they also want Donald Trump out. So they think that there's going to be someone else there. In a lot of ways, they don't necessarily refer to him directly, but they do lead you to the conclusion that, no, they're ready to move on. And the, the one thing that I thought was very different from before is a story that I saw on Yahoo News. And essentially what they're talking about is the war chest that Donald Trump has. Since he's been out of office, he's been accepting donations, but it's been for a super PAC. Technically, the way the laws are written, you can't just move the money from the PAC to your campaign funds and spend it the way you want. That's illegal. The PAC is the pact. That's how it's set up tax-wise. Now, there could be some legal loopholes around that, but really there's not. So all that money he's been raising in that giant war chest that could have been used on other campaigns and other things is just going to have to sit there for a while. I think it's at $70 million, and that's a lot of money considering how much money they spend just to uh, get things going, to have a running head start at $70 million would be great, but he can't just transfer it over. So it's almost like he's not starting from scratch, per se, but what he's doing is starting at a disadvantage, considering all this money sits there tempting, but he can't legally use it. So is that something to consider, that unless he's going to put more of his own money in there, he can't do anything else with all that super PAC money that was already put together? That could be another sign. So day one of the Trump campaign, Where's that money going to come from? Do you have enough wealthy donors left that will actually give you money? Or are they out of this, too, much like the former vice president and a lot of politicians? Even what you heard today with Steve, uh, right after 9 o'clock, he had the Paul Ryan interview. And the quote that you've been hearing on the news replayed here on WTMJ, essentially, is that I'm, I, I wasn't a never-Trumper. I'm just a never-again-Trumper. And I think that's where a lot of these mentality of the Republican Party is going. So could this thing kind of fizzle out before it even starts? That's the big question. I saw a uh, another story which I want to talk about after the news, and you know, not to go too much into the Trump stuff. I was just found it fascinating. I mean, we're two days in, and he's already out of the news cycle. That's a new thing. We're not used to that whenever politics and Trump crossover. Uh, but something else I saw in the news: Milwaukee Public Schools. There was a counselor that went to a rally, went in front of the rally, and said, "I am a counselor for this so and so school district. I'm against." transgender surgeries i'm against using this um philosophies in schools so she's at a rally she's discussing these things in front of a crowd the school ends up firing her now she's suing milwaukee public schools to say that they violated her freedom of speech rights was wrongfully terminated she wants her back pay and she wants reinstated we'll bring you that case in your comments i'd like to hear from you coming up after the break, the WTMJ talk and text line is 855-616-1620. I'm Ryan Recker filling in. Welcome back. The WTMJ talk and text line is 855-616-1620. So there's a lawsuit from a former Milwaukee public schools counselor that is in effect. And I wanted to give you the details of this case if you're looking for it. I think NPR reported on it. She was fired on September 30th from Allen Field Elementary School. This goes back to things that she said in April. There was a rally in Madison, and the rally was... Um, let me try to read some of the comments. Okay, so I'll read the comments. You can, you can put it into the context here. So when she went up to the stage, she identified herself as a Milwaukee Public Schools elementary counselor. 
and said, quote, I oppose gender ideology ever entering the walls of my school building. And she went on to say, on my dead blanking body, will my students be exposed to the harms of gender uh, gender ideology? Uh, Not a single one of my students under my blanking watch will ever, ever transition socially and sure as heck not medically. So the schools caught wind of this because the rally was recorded. It was posted up on YouTube. And they took exception to it because now this is a counselor at an elementary school saying these things in front of a crowd. But the part that they point to that says why they were justified to fire her as a counselor is because she identified herself as a member of the Milwaukee public school system and as a counselor at Allen Field Elementary School. So they said, when you said that, you represented yourself as a person of authority for the schools talking on behalf of the schools. You represented yourself as if you were coming as part of the school system. And because of that, free speech or not, your misrepresentation of our policies means we can fire you, which she was. Now she's going to sue the school district to say, I was wrongfully terminated. I have freedom of speech outside of school. And that freedom of speech allows me to say things like this. And because I was terminated, uh, I want my job back. I want back pay. I want this stricken from the record. I want it back in. So that's where the lawsuit goes. It's a uh, federal lawsuit in the Milwaukee School Board. There's all kinds of different people named as this as part of the uh, defendants. The WTMJ talk and text line is 855-616-1620. The way I look at this is there's a couple of different, um, a couple of different opposing ideas. The default way I think you handle this topic in schools is to keep it out of the schools, particularly at the elementary school level. I don't want to think that when my son goes to school that he is going to be indoctrinated with certain ideas that are contrary to the beliefs of our household. And I think a lot of parents and their kids have their own bond and understanding in the way that their family is structured, where it is out of line for a school to come in and say, no, 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 your family's wrong. That is totally out of line. Um, And and it's like that for schools, middle schools, you know, even to the point of high schools. We're talking about minors in this case. Should the schools be obligated to push a worldview on something that the parents disagree with, particularly since the child is a minor? And I think that is not the case of the school. I think that is not the job of the school. In fact, I think it should default back into the parents. It's a matter between the parents and kids, not between the school and the teachers. So when I say that, could the school district also argue, which I think successfully they could argue, that if we're keeping it out of the schools, then you taking a stance as a counselor brings it back into the schools, which means by that merit, you are rightfully terminated. Even bringing it up to begin with in a protest possibly opens up the door to say that, well, you're bringing it into the schools, which we don't want, and you're done. But, okay, that's not actually the case of how it happened, but... Technically speaking, I can understand where they're coming from. 855-616-1620. Do you think this counselor has a fair shot? Do you think the counselor could defeat the Milwaukee Public Schools and his right to say her free speech was violated? We'll take some of your calls after the break. And some of your text messages, too, on the talk and text line, 855-616-1620 on WTMJ. I'm going to read some text messages on this, but the phone lines are open for you. At the WTMJ talk and text line, 855-616-1620. Discussing the story of the Milwaukee Public Schools counselor. She was a public 
counselor of the schools up until September 30th when she was fired from Allen Field Elementary School. And part of the suspension is the school says they were justified. She gave a speech at a rally. She identified herself as a representative of the Milwaukee school system. And then that was not right, right? That's not a message that they wanted out there. So she's suing. She's saying her free speech was violated. Do you agree? 855-616-1620. One text message said, uh, okay, she had every right to get back pay and return to the job. She'll win the lawsuit as well. It's time to address these issues straight on. So you're looking to pick a fight almost. You're saying that we need to make sure that there's clear rules on this. Uh, If you're speaking at a rally, and okay, let's say hypothetically there's other types of rallies people could speak at. If she goes in there and says, I am not introducing certain ideas to these students, that doesn't mean she's indoctrinating the kids. She's saying that the stance should be you stay out of it. I'm not going to play that game in a a lot of certain ways because sometimes it goes from district to district, school to school on how they handle matters like this. But when you're talking elementary school, you're talking about very young children. Should it even be the school's responsibility to bring these type of topics and matters into the classroom with the children and without their parental involvement. I think that's a big topic. Is it the swear words? If she would have went in front of this and didn't mention the Milwaukee Public Schools, would this have been a different story? Probably, but probably not. If someone would have shared the video with an administrator, they probably would have fired her anyway. I'm guessing the public school thing and identifying with it had nothing to do with the actual firing. It's probably the stance she's taking on it, if I had to guess. A couple of other text messages, WTMJ, tell the world the Packer game is on Fox 6, as very few people have Amazon Prime. No, I think there's a lot of people that have Amazon Prime. I mean, I have Amazon Prime, and I don't even like to buy streaming services. The only reason we do it is because we, you know, get the Prime deliveries. We do a lot of our shopping on Amazon. So because of that, we have it by default. But I don't know if I'll be watching the game tonight. I mean, it'll be on tonight. I don't like the streaming experience. It's, it's so much different. Listen to the pregame show here on WTMJ and catch all of the best action you can get. Then I guess switch over to Fox 6 or Amazon Prime. You can watch it on there tonight. I hate these streaming services. There's just too many of them. I think all of them are hyper-competitive. They overpay for what you get. And then they basically fragment the areas you can watch these games. Like, How many different streaming services can you think of right now? Between the Bucks, between the Brewers, between the Packers, and any other sport you watch, could be, you know, MMA, could be NASCAR, could be this, could be that. Uh, just think about all the different places that now have exclusive rights to some league. And some days you're watching it over here, some days you're watching it over there, some days you have to do this. Like, at least for the Brewers, you can always listen to it on WTMJ, and that's kind of the point. You can turn on the radio and hear it without having to wonder if your streaming service is going to work today to watch it over there, or if it's going to be preempted, or if it's going to be on TV, or if someone else got the rights, let alone all the different television rights that go along with it. So I get that. Fox 6 tonight for that game. Listen to WTMJ up until, because then you'll get all the best pregame coverage. Oh, one person commenting here, apparently my wife has me pretty well trained, Yeah, I don't know if that's the case. If you were to talk to her, she would say that there's a long way to go, but I'm serviceable. Maybe that's the best way to describe myself as a husband. We're we're talking about Thanksgiving meal next week, (laughs) and I don't have to do anything this year. This is fantastic. In the past, we've always hosted, so I had to do all the work. 
particularly because my wife would normally get sick this time of year. Oh, it's always around Thanksgiving. So I have to do everything, including brine the turkey, which I love brine turkey. That is the way to do it. I'll never go back making a turkey any other way. It makes me want to make turkey every other week, brining a turkey. I'll just have to get smaller ones. But it's so good. But this year we're going and visiting family, and they're taking care of all the preparations. I don't have to lift a finger other than unbuttoning the top part of my jeans. But I even have another trick up my sleeve this time around. I have these jeans, but they're actually not jeans. They look like jeans, but they're actually sweatpants. So it has the elastic waistband. It's got the drawstrings on it. So I'm going to show up to the table with my stretchy sweatpants that look like jeans, and I'll probably wear a nice sweater up up on top of it to hide the drawstrings, and I'm just going to gorge out and enjoy it because I finally can. Uh, One person messaged in, not everyone with Amazon Prime streams on their TVs. Oh, you know what? That's a fantastic point. You're talking about the Packers game later tonight. With the streaming side of it, you may have access to it. It doesn't mean you necessarily have the technology set up to stream it on your television. That's a really good point. Uh, Soon the Super Bowl will try to be a paid service. (laughs) Well, I don't know. That's a tough sell. I think a lot of the Super Bowl is driven by ad revenue, and if that continues to drop or less people invest into the the ad revenue, I guess, uh, the the companies-wise, then maybe that could happen in the future. But I don't know. I guess people would pay for it, but you have these streaming parties, so are they going to charge you 100 bucks for it to hold a party? force you to go watch it somewhere else one person said directions and ingredients for brining a turkey please okay uh this is a good point do we have time yeah we have a minute here's how you brine a turkey so you can buy a kit or go online and look up directions on how to brine the turkey so essentially you boil some water with the different seasoning inside you get that all nice and hot boiled in cooking it and then essentially what i do is i go out and i buy one of those styrofoam coolers ones that you can say when you're done And you have to get a giant oversized Ziploc bag. I mean, giant. Some people even buy those bags they use for, like, sporting equipment. But you can buy big bags. So that's what you do. You take your thawed turkey, put it in the bag with all of the brining material the day before Thanksgiving, the night before. And then you put some ice inside of the cooler and everything else and leave it out in your garage where it's already cold. And then essentially every once in a while, go out there and kind of move the turkey around, make sure that parts are getting a nice little touch of the brine and then by the time the next morning you take it out of the brining solution you wash it off so you get the salt and all that stuff off of it and then you would season your turkey however you would normally season it get a little oil on there get some you know other salt seasonings whatever you normally do and then you cook the turkey that way i'm telling you it is the absolute best i would encourage anyone out there to brine a turkey if you haven't uh, tried it before it is so worth it Okay, well, that was fun. See, I'm already in the Thanksgiving mood. So here I am at break, and producer Charlie messages me and says, I have a problem with something you brought up in the last segment. I don't know what that problem is. Is is your problem with comfort? Do you not like comfort? My problem isn't with comfort. My problem is just saying where pockets are on, like, sweatpants or versus, like, women's pants. Right, so you said, I want to know more about these sweatpants that look like jeans. So I said, sure, let's talk about it. So you said, if you touch it, does it feel like jeans or does it feel like sweatpants? And I said, no, it feels like sweatpants. The outside looks like the denim, but it's really not denim. The inside looks like fuzzy sweatpants. So it's so comfortable. I wear it out when I don't feel like wearing regular jeans. And it's a nice little cheater. And 
Yeah, I love it. What's wrong with those? There is nothing wrong with them. It's just that it's a lying. Just like some women's pants will show like these seams for front pockets, but they're not front pockets. They're lying. Uh, okay, but you know what? So, I yes. like I like those 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 sweat <laughs> those sweatpants you're wearing. I'd like to get myself a pair. Okay, so you uh, had an exception to something I said. So I you asked, are there pockets on it? And I said, yeah, there's pockets. Yes, are there back pockets? And I said, no, it's like ladies' pants. There's no back pockets to them. Right, and I said <laughs> ladies' pockets don't usually are the one pockets they do have is on the back. Oh, I see. Well, in these, it, there's kind of stitching to make it look like there's pockets in the back, but there's no back pockets. Right. Uh, it's just front pockets, but it's so comfortable. I could wear those all day, every day. In fact, I should be wearing them right now. What am I doing here wearing regular jeans? As far as anyone knows, me working from home, I don't even have to wear pants if I don't want to in my own house. But just for the benefit of you, yes, you can uh, rest assured knowing that I am wearing them. Uh, Can I play a game with you, Producer Charlie, now that I got you on the line? Yeah, why not? Let's go. Okay. Now, anyone here listening at home could play this, too. So if you're listening right now, what am I going to do? I'm going to play a noise for you, and I want you to guess the noise. All right? Now, listen very carefully. If you're in the car or if you're listening on your phone, turn your radio up just a little bit louder so you can hear this. Guess the noise. This is clip three. Okay. All right. It was just a quick couple seconds there. It, ooh, it sounds weird, doesn't it? Do you need to hear it again, Charlie, or do you have any guesses? Um, ooh. You know what? I'm going to play it one more time. Okay, take a listen. Listen carefully. Okay. Now, I want you to guess the noise. Um... To me, it sounds like shuffling through wet grass, like with your boots or something like that. You are so close. Okay, here's the story. WISN reported he went to a woman's apartment and found that there was a leak in the wall. And behind her couch, water was leaking in and she didn't know it until her daughter somehow had to get something back there and came back. Her socks were wet. Apparently, it was there for so long, it's growing mold and mushrooms inside of her apartment. Oh, my goodness. And that sound you're listening to is the reporter slapping his hand on the carpet to show just how saturated, soaking wet that carpet is in her apartment. Play that clip three again so we can hear it. Renisha Jackson discovered the... Sorry, that's the wrong clip. No, that's okay. You got three? I want to hear that noise, yeah. Oh, man, I can't imagine. What a nightmare. So that's part of it. She goes there, there's magic mushrooms and stuff, mold growing from the carpet, and she had no idea. Okay, so this is the WISN coverage, uh, clip number four. Renisha Jackson discovered the problem in early October when her three-year-old came from behind the couch with wet feet. And I'm like, why your socks with? I go back there, and it was a mushroom. Several mushrooms, black mold, and rotted baseboards. Horrible. I don't like living here. I haven't been here. Me and my baby been house to house since this issue, which I don't think is fair, and they're not doing anything to help us. In the basement, the subflooring is dripping wet. One of the remarkable things is this is the exterior wall that's completely dry. This is an interior Mm. wall that's soaking wet. Her couch is right up here above moldy and rotted. 
Yeah. So the reporter's in the basement, and he's pointing out it's not coming from outside. Like, the, here's the look at the wall. It's dry, the outside exterior walls, the interior wall that's wet. So anyone here listening that's homeowners have a couple of ideas what could be happening here. While the water, of course, travels down and it travels to the lowest level, so you know it's if it's traveling down, it's coming from up higher. Now, when it goes up higher, since there's other parts of this apartment complex, the big question is, is there water coming from another apartment? And the answer is yes. Apparently, there's an apartment on the other side that's owned by some investment firm who hasn't been to the apartment in years, who knows what kind of leakage or water is going on the other side of that wall, and it was basically leaking over into her apartment, and since her couch backed up against the wall, she didn't know that this was leaking from underneath, and everything was soaking wet. So now she's in this place, and she's thinking to herself, I don't know how much mold damage there is. Is it safe for me to breathe in this apartment? Is it safe for my three-year-old child to play in this apartment? No, it's not. It's growing mushrooms. So she moves out immediately and says, everything I have to assume is in there is a loss. I I can't trust my possessions because if I move it with me and there's mold or any other contamination with it, then it's just bringing it with me. So she had to abandon everything in that apartment. And apparently the people that own the apartment on the other side, WISN called, and they said, oh, we think you got the wrong number. Click. Don't want to take responsibility. Uh, it's, It's a mess. And I feel so terrible for her and her daughter, but she had to just give it all up, which was the responsible thing to do. And I know a lot of people may have been, well, you know, I'm going to try to salvage some of this, but if you ever had flooding in a house and all the mold that goes in with it, once you know that water hits it, it's done, right? It's gone. There's no saving at that point. It's kind of like that when you're talking about mold, mushrooms, mildew. Ugh, so gross. I, I feel terrible for her. I hope that somehow she'll get uh, something that's coming to her, and maybe the apartment complex will help her too, but ultimately she sh- is right to move out of that place and just abandon it as fast as possible. What a weird sound that was. Every time I hear the sound of the reporter slapping the wet, soaking carpet, ugh. All right, I'm Ryan Recker filling in on WTMJ. Some of these text messages of the guesses of the mystery sound. I'm just going to read some of them here. Uh, I don't know, Charlie, if you have that mystery sound. You can play it quickly or not if you have it queued up. But it's the sound. I'll just tell you the, what it is in case you missed it in my segment. Yeah. That is the sound of an oversaturated, just completely soaked carpet behind a couch poor lady had no idea all this water was leaking in from the other side of the wall. It was growing mold. It was growing mushrooms. Reporter goes in and touches this and you hear the sound of just how squishy and wet saturated this carpet is. Some text messages that came in. uh, Snow shoveling. Okay. Another person said window wipers. Okay. Uh, Is that walking through snow, scraping through snow. Um, Another person said shoveling snow. A lot of snow on the mind of the people of Milwaukee. I get that. And then one person said, what are the name of those jean sweatpants called? I honestly think may have missed my calling, or maybe it's not too late. I could just go out and become the spokesperson for the jean sweatpants. And I can tell you, these are the greatest things I have um, found myself actually excited to buy clothing for the first time in my life. When I was a kid, clothing was hand-me-down stuff, you know, oh, someone else's big brother doesn't eat anymore. Here you go. This is what you're wearing, kid. Enjoy it. 
you know, bugle boy stuff. <laughs> Things that I don't even think they make anymore when I was young. And as my mom said, when you were really young, pretty much boys had blue shirts and jeans, and that was it. There wasn't like a huge variety of different clothing lines when you were a kid. So here it is today. There's a million options for clothes. I don't find myself buying clothes that often. I'll buy a pair of jeans until it, I mean, literally falls apart, or I have to turn it into some sort of work outside jeans, and then I'll have to buy something else to replace it. I'll keep shoes until they literally put holes in the bottom. I will have shirts forever. I mean, as long as there's not disintegration going on, I'll keep clothes forever. And I rarely, rarely, rarely clothes shop. Once in a while, my wife will find something at Goodwill that's a dress shirt that I can wear to work or something in the office setting. But when I found out there were jean sweatpants, I said, I better get up and get those things immediately. I don't know what the brand is. I'll tell you, I got them at Burlington. I love Burlington. So they were on the shelf there, and I found myself buying two or three pair. And I no, actually, I think they were gifted to me. We were shopping with the in-laws, and the in-laws said, hey, uh, you want an early birthday gift? I said, fine, buy me my jeans. And ever since then, I've been a sweatpants jeans man. That's the way to go. <sighs> okay, here's some more questions. Okay, the sound they heard, they thought an old record? I can kind of see that, the old record kind of ending in a situation like that. Okay, good guesses. That mystery sound, really gross. Now that you feel bad, the poor lady was forced to move out of that apartment because of the mold and mushrooms. I'm wishing her the best, though. That's a tough situation to be in. Uh, Saw TMJ4 did a piece on an 88-year-old woman who crochets thousands of pieces for the needy. When my son was born in Fort Wayne, there was these little crocheted hats that some lady just decided to have on hand and then the parents pick the one they like and they put the little cap on the little baby's head and it's such an awesome thing it it looks better than i think the stock cap that you would normally get there like if it's a boy it's like a blue striped hat or something like that they always put little hats on the kid but these little crocheted ones were just so adorable and i loved it because it really you know the colors of it popped in the pictures it's just something nice to it and i always thought that was such a cool thing that these old ladies were getting together crochet and stuff for these little babies. Now, she does it for other things. She does it for schools. She does it for Salvation Army. She will do it for uh, deputies, officers, things like that. She said over the years, she has given out thousands and thousands and thousands of crocheted items to the point where she says she's crocheting up to seven hours a day. My grandma would crochet. She would make these beautiful blankets. And at my house... All my friends thought we were dirt poor because my grandma's over there trying to get us a blanket to stay warm. She's crocheting this stuff. But it was just like her hobby. Well, I mean, we were poor, but we weren't dirt poor. But we used these blankets. I still have one of these blankets, and I am deathly afraid to wash it because that's one of the last connections I have to my grandma, something that she made. I would like to clean it, but then what if it falls apart? Then it's no longer, uh, I can't use it anymore. So I'm, I'm afraid to. These things are delicate. The clothing, the shawls. Uh, some One time I spent 50 bucks to have someone else's grandma crochet me a sweatshirt. Guess what? That lasted in the wash three times and then it was done. The most money I've spent on clothes in a long time. And the thing disintegrates in the wash. So I ended up, I couldn't wear it anymore after that. I thought I was super cool. But this lady said seven hours a day and she's 88 years old. I want to know how she keeps her fingers so vibrant and young. Because when you're that age... 
arthritis sets in. You don't get to use your fingers the way they used to. That would just feel painful. Like, you know, even to me, I, I don't know if I could do anything for seven, eight hours a day that's constant motion like that. It's like you're almost working the assembly line. But here she is, maybe for it's a good cause for the babies or the officers or the kids or whatever, donations for charity. Maybe that's what keeps her motivated. But I need to know her secret. Maybe it's fish oil pills or something. What is it? All right, one more segment coming up on WTMJ. It's so funny. I search Facebook every once in a while, just scroll through, and I saw my old college post a photo of the dorms. And I'm like, oh, look at that retro photo of the dorms. And I looked at it, and it's like, oh, that's when I was there. It wasn't retro back when I was there. It was just modern and new. Oh, I'm getting old. My back hurts. I can't even think about stuff like that anymore let alone an 88-year-old Milwaukee woman who can crochet for seven hours a day. I don't know how she does it. There's got to be some special vitamin she takes to keep her joints fresh. I'd want to know what that is because I'll need it. I, you probably saw this, but with Thanksgiving next week, the meal prices will be rising to new record highs. If you've already purchased all of your stuff, you already know that grocery shopping is a drag to begin with. Man, is it expensive lately. And the prices aren't going down. Everything is, you know, the only thing that's shrinking is the size of the container. Like if you're used to getting, let's say, 16 ounces of something, now it's down to like 15.2. Everything shrinks that way. So you're getting less, but you're paying more for all this stuff. Right now, they're looking at the prices. A 16-pound turkey costs nationally about $5 more than it did on average a year ago. $5 more. And then it's $10 more than it did two years ago. Yikes. And we're having issues with inflation and problems with the economy a year ago. And even five bucks more felt like a lot. But man, 10 bucks more than it did two years ago. If you're looking at some cube stuffing mix, it's up about four bucks. Uh, pie crust up about three and a half bucks. Whipped cream's up 220. Frozen peas are up 190. Who's eating frozen peas on Thanksgiving? That's a weird thing to put on the dinner table. I've never seen peas anything i guess maybe in a casserole or something dinner rolls are up 373 pumpkin pie mix up about 425 only one item has actually dropped prices that is the cranberries a 12 ounce bag of fresh cranberries down from last year everything else is way up that really really is a drag uh luckily i'm not paying for any of that stuff this year i'm just going to be shoving stuff into my mouth and while i'm eating i'll be laughing and saying to the other people who paid for it hey this was expensive wasn't it well i'm putting down a fourth plate oh man you must have paid a lot of money for this there it is shoving it down this is the most expensive thanksgiving meal on record by far and if you're buying in places that are large metropolitan like Boston, New York City, Seattle, Washington, D.C., Honolulu. It's even more expensive just based on how demand works for all of these things. Not uh, great. Not great.